Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. videos make me so nervous because I think I can't preach as well as that video does its thing. Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. And over the next several months, we are going to be going on a journey with Jesus through the gospel of Mark. And every week, we will read a story or explore an episode or a series of events that capture the essence of Jesus' life and ministry leading up to his death and resurrection in Jerusalem near the end of March around Easter. But today, we begin at the beginning, which in the Gospel of Mark is not the birth of Jesus. It's the baptism of Jesus. And this is how Mark describes it, beginning in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, 
He saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love with you. I am well pleased. In his book, When, Daniel Pink describes the work of researchers who analyzed eight and a half years of Google searches and discovered, unsurprisingly, that searches including the word diet soared on New Year's Day. They also found an increase in searches using the word diet on the first day of every month and the first day of every week. Social scientists refer to the first day of the year, the first day of the month, the first day of the week as temporal landmarks. These temporal landmarks give us psychological leverage at the beginning of the year, the month, the week, to start something new or to begin again, to start over after we failed. And this, obviously, the end of the first week of the first month of a new year, is the season of new beginnings. We call today Baptism Sunday. Not because this is the only Sunday or day of the year when one can be baptized. In fact, there's already been a couple of baptisms in the last week or so leading up to today. But we call it Baptism Sunday because it's natural to be thinking about being born again or beginning our journey with Jesus or starting over with God during this season of new beginnings. When John the Baptist appeared on the scene 2,000 years ago, he came as a precursor to a new beginning. He's identified as the one mentioned in Isaiah who's going to prepare the way for the Lord, who is coming to do a new thing among God's people. And while we leverage temporal landmarks to help us begin again, John leveraged a literal landmark. He called people back to the Jordan River, that place where the Israelites crossed after their wilderness wanderings so they could begin a new life with God in the promised land. And when John called the people back to the river, back to that starting place, he called them to be baptized, to be immersed in the water as a way of demonstrating their repentance and as a symbol of God forgiving or washing away their sins. And the people, many of them, returned to the river so they could begin again as a way of anticipating the new thing God was about to do among them. And John is very clear that this new thing they're waiting for is actually a person who's coming after him, who is greater than him, who he says is not going to baptize in water 
but it's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God. Meaning that God is coming to God's people in a new and fresh way. And so all the hopes and dreams of God's people are captured and summarized in this opening scene from Mark's gospel. The crowds are flocking to John at the Jordan to be baptized, to begin again. And among them is Jesus of Nazareth, who is baptized as well. This raises an interesting question, doesn't it? If baptism signifies repentance and the forgiveness of sins, why is Jesus being baptized? Of what sins is Jesus repenting? Of what sins does Jesus need to be forgiven? Why is Jesus, the Son of God, participating in a ritual intended for repentant sinners. Now Mark, in his gospel, in this story, does not explicitly give us a reason for Jesus being baptized. Matthew gives us some other details, but we're sticking with Mark. The original readers of Mark didn't have the other gospels that they could flip over to and find other details. This was the story they had. And Mark, in this story, does not tell us why Jesus steps forward to be baptized. But the answer begins to emerge as we reach the end of Mark's gospel. Because as Mark finishes his story, we face a similar question when we ask, why must Jesus be crucified? Why does Jesus die on the cross? Why does he suffer a punishment reserved for criminals, lawbreakers, wrongdoers, the worst of sinners? And the answer to both questions, why is he baptized? Why does he die on a cross? Is one and the same. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he identifies with sinners in baptism. And he finishes his ministry by dying for them on the cross. One of the best ways I know of explaining what Jesus came to do can be traced back to Irenaeus, an early church father who summarized the ministry of Jesus. Really, he summarized the entire gospel like this. He said, Christ became like us so that we can become like Christ. This is sometimes called the great exchange. When Christ stepped into the water, it wasn't for his sins. It was for the sins of the world. When Christ stepped into the water, it was not for his sins. It was for our sins. He became like us so that we can become like him. Mark includes several important details in Jesus' baptism account. First, you notice that as Jesus is coming up out of the water, Mark says, Jesus saw heaven being torn open. 
Now, this is not the gentle parting of clouds accompanied by soothing harp music. The word Mark uses refers to a violent ripping. It's an echo of a passage from Isaiah 64 that expresses a longing for God's presence, that you would rip open the heavens and come and be among us. But more specifically, Mark uses this same word later on in his gospel when Jesus dies. He says in Mark 15, verse 37 and 38, With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn, same word, in two from top to bottom. The curtain in this story is presumably the one leading into the Holy of Holies in the temple where God was thought to dwell. And Jesus makes a way when he dies for humanity to approach God through him rather than at the temple in Jerusalem. Now, I do not think it's an accident that Mark uses the same word in both stories. The heavens are ripped open at Jesus' baptism. And the curtain separating humanity from God is ripped open at his death. The beginning already Holds the end. And the end can be found in the beginning. Another detail is that as Jesus is coming up out of the water, he sees the Spirit descending on him like a dove. For centuries, careful Bible readers have connected the description of a fluttering dove with the opening verses of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, the Spirit of God is hovering, that's avian imagery, hovering over the water at creation. When Jesus is baptized, the Spirit of God is hovering over the water once again, about to create something new. Jesus is the beginning of this new thing God is doing. God is initiating a new creation in Jesus. Then a third detail is that Jesus hears a word, a voice of affirmation from heaven, identifying him as the son of God who is loved and with whom the father is well pleased. This is an Echo of Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42. It identifies Jesus as the one, as the anointed one. Yes, as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the Son. All of those terms are synonymous. He's the one God's people have been waiting for. Another curiosity to me in this story is, at this point in the story, especially the way Mark tells it. What has Jesus done so far to deserve such a glorious vote of confidence from his Father in heaven? What has he done so far in the story? Not much. Very little. Almost nothing. He's showed up at the river to be baptized. He's stepped forward to fulfill his destiny as the Messiah. Yes, whatever that means, wherever it may lead, 
He's declared an intention. He's made himself available to the will of his father, but he hasn't really done anything yet. He hasn't preached any sermons. He hasn't performed any miracles. He hasn't gathered any disciples. He hasn't really begun. And yet, the voice still says, this is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. Why would the father say this about the son before he even gets started? Because Jesus is the son whom the father loves, with whom the father is well pleased, in whom the father takes great delight. Why? Because Jesus is the son whom the father loves. There's nothing Jesus can do to make his father in heaven love him any more or any less than the father already does. The father's love for the son is not tied to the performance of the son. Jesus may have to go out and prove himself to others. He may have to do things that will impress others in order to draw a crowd. Jesus has to do nothing but be himself for the father who loves him and who takes great delight in him. Did you also notice that this voice in Mark's telling of the story is for Jesus and Jesus alone? He's the only one who hears it. It's a word of affirmation for Jesus. One of the most important things every child needs to hear is the voice of the parent saying, you are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. And I am so proud of you simply because you are my child. Jesus begins his ministry knowing who he is. Knowing he is loved by his father and is already a great delight to the father. Now these details can help us better understand what's happening at Jesus' baptism. But they also give us some insight into what happens at our baptism. Jesus identified with sinful humanity at his baptism. We identify with the righteous Christ at our baptism, the great exchange. Paul says it this way in Romans 6, 3 and 4, he says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul says we are baptized into Christ. We are now in Christ. And when we are in Christ, that means whatever is true of Christ is also true of us. His baptism is now our baptism. His life is our life. His death is our death. His resurrection, our resurrection. His identity, our identity. Christ became like us so that we could become like Christ. And baptism is the place in the gospel story where the Father says who Jesus is. It's also the place in our story where our Father in heaven says who we are. 
At baptism, we are anointed or filled with the Holy Spirit and affirmed as children of God. Again, Paul, this time in Galatians 3, says in verses 26 and 27, so in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God. If you're in Christ, you're a child of God. Through faith, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. At baptism, our Father in heaven says, you are my son. You are my daughter, whom I love, and with whom I am well pleased. We're about to watch a baptism. And every time we witness a baptism, we see the gospel in action. At every baptism, the Spirit of God is hovering over the water, ready to create something new. At baptism, the heavens are ripped open, and the curtain is torn from top to bottom so that nothing can separate us from the love of our Father in heaven. At baptism, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, descends upon a beloved son or daughter of God. We are who God says we are at baptism. So now let's watch this video of Beth Love's baptism, which took place here on Friday afternoon. So I'm going to ask you a question and answer loud for the people so they can, they can understand. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross to take away your sins? Yes, I do. Thank you for that confession. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, now I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the remission of your sins. And when you come up out of the water, you'll become a, a new creature in Christ. There's a tradition in some churches where when there is a baptism, the pastor will take some water and fling it out onto the congregation and say, now remember your baptism. So witnessing a baptism, whether live or on a video, is an opportunity to celebrate the new thing God is doing in the life of the one being baptized. But it's also for those of us who have already been baptized, it's an opportunity for us to celebrate the new thing God is doing in us. It's also an opportunity for us to go back to the beginning and say, I want to begin again. I've lost the way. I've lost the plot. I've veered from the path. I'm coming back. I want to reclaim that, what was mine at baptism. And it's a way of remembering the Father's affirmation of us when we were baptized. To every baptized person in this room, the Father said to you at your baptism, you are my son. You are my daughter. You are my child. I love you so much. 
and I am so proud of you. In just a moment, we're going to sing a couple of songs. And if today you are ready to step into the water with Jesus, if you have never been baptized, you think today's the day, we are ready to help you do that today. We have clothes for you to change into. We have plenty of towels in the back. If the Spirit is stirring your heart, leading you to think, today's the day. I want to begin again. I want to start over. I want to be born again. Then we can help you do that. And I invite you when we do stand and sing to make your way to the back of the worship center. I'll be back there with some others ready to answer your questions, to help you discern if now's the time for you to be baptized, to help you make your way back to the baptistries. We can do that in a few minutes if that's what you're ready to do. As I said at the beginning, just because we've called today Baptism Sunday does not mean that this is the only day one can be baptized. Of course not. It may be that today is the beginning of a longer process or conversation for you that will lead you to being baptized a few days, a few weeks, or maybe even a few months later. Rest assured, whenever you're ready to take your next step, we will be here, ready and willing to help you step into the water with Jesus. Because long before we ever thought of it, he stepped into the water with us. If you want to talk, if you have questions, if you want to take that next step, see me in the back. Let's stand and sing. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus because we honestly believe following him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.